Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. First time guest, but longtime European tour correspondent for us here at No Laying Up is Mr. Job Fickett. You're here to bring me down from my whenever I get too high, if I get too excited about the upcoming Ryder Cup, you're here to remind me that Europe has a strong team. Is that correct? I'm here to remind you that Europe has a strong team, but I would also like to make it known that I am not Turncoat Tron, and I will be pulling for the United States team. I was born in the United States, and uh, even though I like the European tour, and I like the European team a lot, um, I think that this is going to be a really good one, actually. Yeah, you are, you're the voice of reason, I guess you, you could say. I'll take that. Okay. We're going to talk a lot about uh, the point standings, Ryder Cup picks, the captain's picks. We're going to talk about the golf course, a lot of the dynamics, team dynamics, pairings. We're going to, I think we're going to try to tackle it all. Uh, we did some research for this. We got some numbers prepared. Um, but first, I want to. Let's, we're going to start with the European team. Uh, I want to. I want to know from you. You're looking at the standings. You you kind of wrote something back in March, even kind of set, locking in about eight guys on the team. Made your guess on who the captains' picks are. How much has that really changed since what you wrote in March? And what would you change about it if you could? Well, I think obviously I, I took a lot of flack at the time for not picking Casey as a lock straight away, and that was that was fair criticism. It really hasn't changed a whole lot, though. I mean, some of the guys that were you know, locks early on really haven't moved around a lot. Um, Sergio and Stenson have kind of dropped down, and obviously Molinari is the, the big one that's jumped way up to the top of the standings. Um, but as far as, you know, kind of the, the stalwarts, Rose, McElroy, you know, Fleetwood obviously has even played better uh, over the summer. Um, Rom, you know, Norin, those are the guys that really, you know, we're going to expect to see a lot of points come from the European team. We got some we got some interesting questions to ask. Like I'm just gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna ask it out loud. I think this is the case, but is Sergio Garcia going to make the Ryder Cup team? Probably. He probably <laughs> is, but you know, we talked about this a little bit. Sergio Garcia has not made a cut in the United States since the players where he finished seventieth. Um, he missed the cut at the US Open he missed the cut at the Open Championships, obviously not in the United States. But, um, you know, aside from a, a, a T12 in Germany and a T8 at actually Le Golf National in, in France, for whatever that's worth, uh, he hasn't had a good summer. He hasn't really had a great year. And uh, he would be and he's and he needs a pick right now. So it's it's going to be very it's probably come down to the wire. I think fortunate enough for Thomas Bjornia, you can look at it as a positive or a negative. I think his decisions are pretty easy if you look at it right now, right? So if you're if you're him right now, walk us through. So we in the world standings, or I guess let's start with the European points, Molinari, Rose, Hatton, and Fleetwood are your leaders. Now looking at these points, Hatton had a commanding lead back when we initially started looking at this. Correct. It's a little more interesting now. So walk us through how the European Tour points work. How do you qualify on points uh, for the European Tour team? So there's there's two ways, and this is a new way that, that they decided to do it this year, kind of in a reaction, I guess, to the or the United States side. Task force. Task force. 
Um, so there's two ways. There's there's the European point standings, and then there's the world point standings, and then there's four captain's picks. So 12 players on the team, the four best European standing, the four best world standing, and then obviously the four captain's picks. and The four best world standing that aren't the four best from Europe. So it, Correct. It, yeah. So. so so right. So the way that they did it is there's an acknowledgement from the European tour and from you know the Ryder Cup uh, that some of the best players on the European team were not kind of getting their due because they weren't playing in Europe all the time. And this is kind of like the, the Casey rule for lack of a better way of putting it. But Paul Casey, uh, Justin Rose, some of these guys play primarily in the United States or the majority in the, in the United States. And uh, they needed a way to kind of functionally rank those guys uh, in the stronger fields, frankly, that they're playing against. Um, so, you know, you can accumulate points based on the money that you win and there's multipliers on the European side um, and then you also can accumulate points on the world side. And uh, another interesting thing that they did this year was for the Rolex uh, series events, which are, you know, the kind of the big national opens, um, there weren't any European points available anywhere else in the world for those weeks. Um, you could only earn points in Europe for those weeks. And they had $7 million purses to get the guys to stay in Europe. Um, and that's kind of like the big, you know, wild card uh, as far as some of the bigger moves we've seen. Molinari jumping up. You know, obviously, even before he won the Open Championship, he was in because um, he won the, you know, at Wentworth, and it was worth you know one point five points, and also you know seven million dollar purse. So, which I'm in on. I like that. I think. And Me too. Once that, once this, like, kind of the spring rolling the back half of the spring into the summer is the European Tour season for me. Any flexing they can do on the PGA Tour, like the, all of those events, are infinitely more interesting than anything that happens on the PGA Tour. Now, I actually like. On the PGA Tour, it's fun to watch some of the kind of guy, the web graduates get all the starts that they want. I mean, for the first half of the year, they really struggle to get into events. And, you know, with guys like the top guys taking off more weeks in, in the summer, then they're able to get into a lot of events. I enjoy following that. But I think that's a perfect way of putting it. And, you know, the European Tour is really only in Europe during the summer. I mean, right. otherwise, they're all over the world. And some of the courses they play are, you know, just whack <laughs> and 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 so it's it's a good symbiosis uh between the pga tour and the european tour to like you said let some of the guys uh that are fighting just to kind of keep their card or get their card and then also you see a lot of the big american stars uh go over and play like in the scottish open mm -hmm. and french open so it's worth noting we're recording this sunday morning july 29th a lot can happen between now and the end of the year i shouldn't have to have that as a disclaimer but also any points we're referencing the uh, the Canadian Open, no, no events from this week are going to be counted in what we're saying. This is going to come out tomorrow, but I don't think that one day of standing shift is going to really, really change things. Now, next week, it might on the U.S. side. We're going to get to that. So anyway, so Tyrrell Hatton has 3.8 million points on the European points list. Tommy Fleetwood has 3.4. Now, Noren and Rory sit at 3.3 and 3.1 million, which I know there's a lot of numbers, but that's, they're within shouting range of knocking both Hatton and Fleetwood out on the European points list is, and if if that happens, is Hatton is sitting there nicely at two twenty. But I, I want to just talk about Tyrrell Hatton from the beginning. Back in March, he was far and away the leader on European points. Looked like a lock for this team. Is he still a lock for the European Ryder Cup team? Yeah, I would say that he probably is. Um, and 
you know, it's there's no probably with the word lock. Okay, lock means <laughs> is he a lock or not? It sounds like no is the answer, which is fine. Yeah, maybe maybe he, the answer is no. I he's mean, a favorite. He's a favorite. Yeah. yeah, he's he controls his own destiny. Yeah, um, and you know, obviously, he's got two big events coming up. Uh, the on the state side, he's going to be in, at Firestone and in the PGA, and you know, he he can play his way into being a lock, um, and. And he's close. He's close. He's he's in, and it's he really would have to drop off to really fall out on points. I mean, he's there in European points and world points, uh, but it just is interesting that he might end up losing that on that that huge lead that he had on European points. Um, And then so that's Molinari, Rose, Hatton, and Fleetwood on European points, and then the next four that are getting in on world points: Rory, Rom, Norin, and Casey. Now Matthew Fitzpatrick is pretty close to Casey on the world points list, and I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of how this is calculated, but the ones just out on world points are Fitzpatrick, Sergio, Ian Poulter, and Eddie Pepperell. And then there's Russell Knox, Rafa Cabrera-Bello, Henrik Stenson, Tiorbjorn Olsen, Ross Fisher. That's kind of the guys that are first out, really, when it comes to points. So after we have, let's let's assume those eight that are in are in. I I don't think there's going to be. I mean, I think if you know if Matthew Fitzpatrick passes Paul Casey, I think Paul Casey's getting a captain's pick. One hundred percent, he's going to be on this team, which I still don't understand how Casey's this far down in in the rankings. But that's that's a different topic. Anyways, who are your four captains' picks sitting here right now for the European team, assuming those eight are in? Sergio, Stenson, Poulter, and probably Rafa Cabrera Bayo, but I would say. Any of those three other than Poulter are maybe interchangeable. Um, and I think that, you know, Sergio not trending really in a great direction. Stenson's health might be an issue. I mean, he's got, you know, an elbow injury that's kind of been plaguing him. Rafa Cabrera Bayo is probably the best of the, um, kind of the best of the rest other, other than Poulter. Uh, Poulter's record speaks for itself, and he's going to be on this team. Uh, Rafa Cabrera Bayo played really well. In his debut in 2016, which, which, by the way, Poulter's record is 12 and four in the Ryder Cup, which I knew it was good, and I, but I remember he was not great in 2014. His record is 12, four and two. As much as we rip on that guy, my God, that is he's a an animal, ridiculous Ryder Cup record. However, however, I'm I want him on the team. I want him to go down in flames. I think I really think it might happen too. It it could. Uh, you know, he just he just turns into a different person on the greens, particularly. I mean, he just makes putts from everywhere, and there's nothing more annoying in match play than watching your yep. opponent be out of position. He's not a great ball striker. He's prone to you know some hosel adjacent shots occasionally. Uh, there's nothing more annoying than seeing your competitor be out of the hole and then bury like a 30 footer for par to to have the hole. I found it interesting that that Rom was on the podcast back in during the Players Week, and he's just like he said, obviously Poulter's going to be on this team, and Poulter's right. played well since then to kind of further validate that. But I was just like, wow, even at that point, like the, the European team guys are like, yeah, he's he, on this team. He's a heart and soul guy. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's a locker, he's, he's a locker room leader. He's got more experience than most of the other guys on the team. You know, guys will rally around him. And that's where I think we can get kind of lost. And a lot of the questions we get are like, who is, you know, who's Jim Furyk going to pick? Who's Thomas Bjorn going to pick? A lot of the captain selections come down to the players. 100%. And it's, it's you know, they have this figurehead that makes the final decision. But I think mostly on the U.S. side, the assistant captains are actually stronger voices than the captain is. The captain is like the CEO and is does all the media and is the like the, the facing, I guess, the face of the team. 
But the input from the assistant captains, like Tiger, like overruled Davis Love on some pairings and stuff in the 2016 Ryder Cup, and it just all the pressure comes down on that main captain to make the right decisions to surround yourself with the right captains, assistant captains, and know which advice to listen to. But it's not a one-man show like it was in the Tom Watson days. I was just going to say, Tom Watson is maybe the best example of not listening to your assistant captains, not listening to your players. And, you know, maybe Hal Sutton is kind of, you know, in that same vein where if you delegate, and you should, if you delegate to the guys who are, you know, kind of in the mix, and especially with Tiger and Phil, I mean, they they really have their fingers on the pulse of, you know, what the guys in the team room are going to want. And uh, I, I think that's a, that's a good take. So a topic of discussion that I don't really hear anymore, and I, I jokingly asked this to Thomas Bjorn. You'll see this in our video work about Jeremy that's coming out soon. But jokingly asked him if he was going to select a French player for the team because it's, a, it's kind of been a storyline leading up to this that, you know, they're playing in France for the first time. And do you – I mean – Essentially, Stephen Gallagher was a captain's pick in for Scotland in 2014 because he is Scottish. And it's like, are you going to take a French player so the local fans have someone to support and root for? I don't think that's really even a question at this point, is it? It's not, and it's disappointing. I would say that you know Alex Levy probably had the best chance, and was, and his personality it would have been great. I mean, he's you know a fiery guy. Um, and a really good player, really good ball striker. And, you know, he won earlier this year and kind of looked like he was really trending in the right direction after I think he won in China. No, uh, regardless, he has really kind of fallen off and he's playing well this week. I was just taking a look at the leaderboard and he's in 20th place in Germany at the uh, Porsche Open. But I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's not even, he's like 23rd on the European list, I think. And Simon Barker had a great question. He said, should Bjorn pick Levy for a wild card? Not only because he's French, but has tour sauce in bucket loads. He is so animated that it would be just absolute entertainment. And for that, for that alone, he should be selected. This is, let's remind ourselves, this is an exhibition. This is a high, sure. this is for entertainment as much as, as badly as we, you know, I'm rooting for the U S to win and take this very seriously. Like this is an exhibition. He was also born in the United States. He was born in California to French parents and has you know moved back to France and has lived there most of his life. But I think that that would also kind of be like a little interesting. Could he be on the U S team? Uh, well, uh, I think he, maybe. <laughs> maybe that might be the end. <laughs> Furyk selects Levy, doesn't play him for the first two days, sends him out in singles when he needs a rally for behind the, to get the French fans he's, behind He's him. playing for the red, white, and blue, France. What do you want? <laughs> I actually kind of like that. Um, all right, so what else are you seeing? Kind of, I know Matt, you threw out the name Matthew Fitzpatrick. Eddie Pepperell is kind of a guy that's been on the rise here lately. Is there, if you look at it now, I think Bjorn doesn't have, really it's that last spot. And I think uh, Cabrera, uh, we would both agree that RCB has that last spot as of now. Is there anyone really knocking down the door there that is is changing your mind about anything? Two guys. So first of all, this this take is going to be hot and it's it's a problem because, uh, you know, anybody that follows you know, the, the golf Twitterati uh, knows how much Eddie Pepperell is beloved on Twitter because he speaks his mind. He's funny. He's got a beautiful dog that, you know, he <laughs> likes to show off the dog's junk all the time. Um, but he's 10th in the European standings. He's 12th in the world standings. He finished, uh, you know, second at the Scottish Open. He looked like he was potentially going to win the Open Championship. He's trending in the right direction. He won earlier this year. Um, you know, Pepperell's right there. And I think you could very easily make a case for him. The other guy is, uh, Torbjorn Olesen, who, you know, Thomas Bjorn being Danish Olesen's being, you know, 
there's not been a lot of Danes. Uh, you know, he's eighth in the European standings, 16th in the world standings. He looked really, uh, you know, quite good at the open championship. Uh, early on the Sunday broadcast, they showed him knocking down the flag. You can see that he's, you know, a really good ball striker is probably underperformed in his career overall, but you know, he's another guy that could have a, another top 10 or top five and maybe even make the team on points. I mean, from the European side. So, yeah, and I think it's important to just note that at this point, you know, we can lock in what the four picks would be right now, but it really doesn't mean anything, right? There's so much that can happen in these coming weeks, so it's important to at least look at – important is a relative word. We're just sitting around here talking about golf. We have no say in what goes on, but uh, it's important to kind of see who is sniffing around and with a late charge could make things really interesting. I think it's maybe a little bit more interesting on the U.S. side than it is the European side. Um, just because really, and I'm going to, we're going to get into some numbers here. Like the, the drop off, once you get to pass like Europe's like top 15 players is steep. Correct. And it is, it's always been the same and I'm not arguing that it should be different, but Europe is very fortunate. This is like a 12 person event, I think, because if it, if you put, putting the top 12 Americans versus the top 12 Europeans, it's going to be a very good match in the Ryder cup. If you took the next 12 Americans and the next 12 Europeans, bloodbath, it would be a absolute massacre. But that's not what this competition is. Anyways, just wanted to get that point in there. Let me shout out Russell Knox real fast, too, just so that I don't get an angry text from Tron. And, you know, whenever he listens to this, you know, and Knox, Jack Speech guy, you know, adopted Jacksonville University Dolphins. Uh, you know, I, and Knox won the Scottish Open. He's ninth in the European points. So, you know, Knox is another guy to keep keep a, a lookout for that not a lot of people are talking about but um i would say he'd probably be third for me after pepperell and olson what about I, I try not to get too deep into this because one we don't know who's going to be on the team two it's really hard to guess how they would pair them up once they're on the team but do you have kind of some pairings in mind i think some of them are kind of no-brainers when it comes to the euros but what are you kind of seeing for potential partnerships lined up for foursomes molinari and norin is going to be menacing. Yeah. I mean, ball striking is, and, and if they're both putting the, the way that they've putted well, you know, the past three months for Molinari. Um, but those are two guys that are going to be in the fairway on every single hole. And it's just going to be devastating to, to watch guys that, you know, just ball strike it to death. They don't miss shots. They don't miss shots. You know, they're always on, they're always below the hole. They air on, you know, the fat part of the green. Um, those, you know, those two, um, I kind of like Fleetwood and Rose, maybe. I know that you know Stenson and Rose have been kind of their uh, their ultimate pairing, but I think Fleetwood and Rose are, would pair very well. Um, you know, two English guys. Not that that necessarily means anything, but I think they kind of have similar personalities. They kind of roll with the punches, and and that might be a good pairing, maybe for four ball. Uh, two guys that can make a lot of birdies. Pepperell and Poulter, if Pepperell makes the team, I'm like oh god, that so would Pepperell, be an interesting, interesting one. Pepperell just. Uh, Shout out to Eddie, and you know we we talked to him a little bit in Abu Dhabi when we were there. He said, you know, if I don't make this Ryder Cup team, I'm probably going to attend as a fan. Like that's how excited he is. One about this golf course, the the Europe, the, the pros rave about this golf course. I think it's fine. It's, it's cool. Okay. Yeah. It, the, but these guys absolutely seem to love it. Um, pros love water. I'm not really sure why, but they they absolutely love courses with water. Anyways, uh, if he got Pepperell, just gives no fucks about anything correct like he he i don't know what his behavior would be like during a Ryder cup i don't see him as like a super excited guy but like 
he he is one of the more interesting characters if he actually gets out there and i'm rooting for that i think you know putting him and that's kind of like why putting him with polter uh yeah would be a great you know the kind of the yin and yang uh they kind of maybe balance each other out a little bit or you could see polter you know pepperell kind of feed off polter and and kind of get fired up which i think would be cool to see hmm. so you're feeling what are you i guess what your overall feeling on the strength of the european team as we sit here three months out two months out Two months out. Yeah, a little over two months out. I mean, I would say um, I know that they're probably not going to be favored, uh, at least on the betting line. I think that they're, I mean, the one thing that we keep going back to, and, you know, history is is what it is, but the United States hasn't won in Europe since 1993. Correct. And it's not like, you know, Colin Montgomery said earlier this week in his press conference that he thought that this was maybe the strongest uh, European side ever. I went back and looked at maybe like the last, you know, 10 teams and, and he might be right about that. I mean, at least, you know, usually where it falls off very badly for the Europeans is the last four or five guys, sometimes the last six guys. And there's just really not that big of a fall off right. now. Yeah. It's, it's definitely tightened. I mean, they have eight to nine, like really, really strong ones. Right. And for the course of team play, your weaker, your quote unquote weaker links can be hidden a little bit better. Sure. And, um, and that's that's kind of where they've made hay in the past is they've dominated the team sessions and the U.S. has done really well in the singles, the, the exception being 2012 where everything flipped in that regard. Right. But for the most part, um, you know, they, they've just done so well in team play, particularly in foursomes. We've seen that shift a little bit in the, in, in the past years. In 2014, I mean, they just destroyed us in foursomes. I think there were seven. And set, there was They won seven of them when we halved one of them, which is just absurd, a disgrace. Yes. And then the first foursome session last year, at, uh, or the last Ryder Cup, the U.S. swept them. So I don't know if necessarily you can go off a ton of trends. I don't know how much that means. I think... You know, the, the Ryder Cup only occurs every other year, and we look at, like, a trend as if it means something, but really the sample sizes are just so damn small. They're I mean, small, and, you know, it's... it's. I mean, the last five Ryder Cups, uh, for all the European dominance, the Europe's won three, the U.S. has won two. Yeah, it's a selective cutoff that I chose there, but, like, <laughs> 06 and 04 were just disgraceful U.S. teams. Correct. I mean, they combined to to earn, I think, 19 points. What, you, you don't like Chris Riley on, on the uh, Ryder Cup team? Hey, listen, Brett Wetterick is not walking through that door. I mean, <laughs> go back and look at those teams. I do it. I know we, I've talked about this on this podcast Why do you for hate four yourself years so much? now. It is just, well, it's a good reminder of where we came from. Oh, like, fair. I mean, this is not the Ryder Cup team. And that's where everyone says, you know, there's so many, you know, look at the World Golf rankings. And then people are like, well, the U.S. has been favored in like every Ryder Cup and they keep losing. How many Ryder Cups was the U.S. really favored in that they lost? Twelve, they were definitely favored, yes. and they should have won. Like yes. that was just—I I almost throw that one out because it's such an outlier. Which, uh, but oh four, they Don't definitely you have to throw favored. out Brookline if that one was sure. Outlier. That's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm not really going back to '99. There's not a lot. Tiger and Phil might be the only consistencies between that's that true. team and this one and Sergio, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I mean. 2002, I doubt they were the favorites at the Belfry. I could be wrong. 04 and 06, I sure hope they weren't the favorites and lost 18 and a half to nine and a half. No. Um, 08, they were actually the underdogs, I think. Uh, in, I mean, they had Ben Curtis and Boo Weekly on, on that team, and they blew out the Europeans. Azinger was making them cut down limbs of trees so that J.B. Holmes wouldn't hit them <laughs> off the tee. Come on! 2010, I mean, it was a, if 14 and a half, 13 and a half Ryder Cup. I'm not going to call it a tie, but like that's not whoever was favored doesn't really matter in that regard. Like, right. and I don't think the U S was a big favorite if they were favored in that one. No. 
And 14, they were definitely not the favorite at Glen Eagles. And 16, they were, and they, they rocked them. Won, so. so I don't know. I don't, I, I don't put a whole lot into it. I think more times you line up, you know, the team that's better on paper is probably going to win more often than not. And that's not like a bold thing to say, but it's no. You really can, and it is, uh, we're going to get into some numbers here. If you're ready to start shifting into into US Let's here, do it. A quick break to remind you that with summer in full effect, there's no better option for your wardrobe than the full line of hybrid shorts from Travis Matthew. I'm wearing a pair right now. You can wear them on the golf course. You can wear them at the lake. You can wear them out to dinner. They are a true hybrid and can be worn in so many different situations. So uh, go to travismatthew.com and today and look for the hybrid shorts designated by their prestige 777 fabrication. Travis Matthew has got you covered for this summer. Now back to our conversation on the Ryder Cup with Job Fickett. So as of right now, you mentioned the U.S. is the betting favorite. U.S. is 1-1 one to one to win, and Europe is 6-5. to five. So, I mean, it's very, very, very close, but U.S. overall is the favorite means absolutely nothing when balls go in the air. And I'm going to dig into some numbers here that, again, I'm going to address before this goes out. Once the balls go in the air, none of this matters. All right? You're killing me early on for hedging so much. There's no problem. No, no, no. Luck. But so Jamie Kennedy tweeted something this past week that just triggered the hell out of me. He tweeted that of the top 20 in the official World Golf rankings, there's nine Euros and there's eight Americans. It's triggered me on so many different levels. I'm going to try to break them down level by level. One, the bias towards Europeans in the official World Golf rankings has been very well documented. Two, very selective endpoints for him to use top 20 because the U.S. has more guys in the top five, in the top 10, in the top 15. The Euros have more in the top 20. The Americans have more in the top 25 and in the top 30. I wish you guys could see this right now because Solly is basically the Elmo fire gif right, or gif right now. <laughs> So that and that is the official world golf rankings that ought, that already favor the Euros. Now, when I dug into the the Sagarin rankings, Golf Week Sagarin rankings, which are in my mind an infinitely better measure, more of a more it's more of a power ranking. So people want the official world golf rankings to be a power rankings and they're not. They're sticky. Like it's, your results from a year ago can matter and the point system is very messed up which has been well to, documented. Yeah, European Tour gets to designate which events they want to be yes. worth bigger points. It's and- a free crack giveaway for official World Golf ranking points. So, um the Sagarin rankings is a reflection of how you are doing against your peers. It's what I would want the official World Golf rankings to be. It's it, it factors in your ranking against the top 10 players in the world the top 50 players, the top 100, and your overall ranking against all other players. So it's like one-on-one. versus You, you tee it up against 155 other guys. You have a win-loss record up for that week. If you beat them all, you have 155 wins and zero losses. So that's how it works. Now, when you break down the, the rankings in the Sagarins, the, like in the top five, there's three Americans and one Euro. Justin Rose is the number one player in that, and I'm fine with that. I think that he has definitely earned that spot. I would agree. In the top 10, there's five Americans, four Euros. Now it starts to get interesting. In the top 15, there's 10 Americans and four Euros. In the top 20, there's 12 Americans, seven Euros. And skipping down a little bit, top 30, 18 Americans, eight Euros. Top 50, 32 Americans, 10 Euros. So back to my earlier point of how the Europeans are very benefiting a bit from this kind of having a cutoff at 12 people. It's very interesting that, that that next level, they don't have those guys really knocking down the door to be on the team. And the U.S. may have like too many guys to kind of choose from. Right. I mean, guys, you know, and we'll get into this, but, you know, guys like Kisner, you know, that, that looked really good at the President's Cup and, and paired well with Phil. And, you know, it was 
not even really that close. Really. No, he's really not. Um, but, but the point of all that is to say, you know, there's 10 euros in the top 50 of the Sagarin rankings. As of right now, if you're building this team, there would be two guys that aren't the top 50 players in the world that would be on the European tour team. So, again, you can hide those guys. It's not it's not that big of a deal. It's more about your strength at the top. And if your top players are better than the other team's top players, it, none of that matters. It's just interesting that the depth is really, really not there in Europe. Now, I, going back to before the 16 Ryder Cup, I said that the U.S. is going to win four of the next five Ryder Cups. That was my claim. Bold take. People didn't love that, as you might imagine. I said they were gonna we're gonna rock them in sixteen. They still like you better than Shipnook. That this makes is you feel true. Better. I think people confuse me and Shipnook a lot on this take, but uh, I said we we're gonna rock them in sixteen. We rocked them. <laughs> Eighteen, I think is gonna be. I, I thought it was gonna be close, and I think is still gonna be close. Yeah. I, I'm not gonna sit here and say the U.S. is gonna is gonna dominate this at all. I still think that the U.S. is gonna win, but it's gonna be very close in my mind. But I think the U.S. is gonna win in twenty, twenty two, and twenty four. I think once you get past this year, and we're gonna kind of we talked a little bit about it, but it's it's fair to maybe ask the question at this point if Stenson and Sergio are past their prime. We we chatted about this a little bit. I mean, Sergio and Stenson are both over 40. Uh, Stenson's got an elbow injury that's kind of nagging him a little bit. And Sergio has undergone some severe, you know, not severe, but life changes. You know, he got married, has a kid, finally won a major. It's... yeah. I don't want to question his desire, but no. I think his priorities are, have and definitely maybe changed. it's a dip and it's will come back up as, you know, the sleepless nights go away from having a young child. Yeah. I, that's, that's a different conversation. But, I, again, the counter to that point I just made is, well, Phil and Tiger, all those guys are getting past their prime. Well, yeah. The point overall is the U.S. has a ton of guys knocking down the door. stable. Ready to stallions. take their place. And I'm just not positive that Europe – actually, I'm quite positive that Europe doesn't have it at that same depth. Now – all you really need is a couple guys to really break through at the very top level. Those two guys in this coming year, John Rahm and Tommy Fleetwood, both were not on the Ryder Cup team last last go around. Correct. Which scares me a little bit. So they've gotten these two breakthroughs. After that, I'm not. It's it's too early to say, but I'm not seeing that guy that's going to break through anywhere near to those levels. There's some guys that are you know really good European players i mean i'm thinking of you know younger guys like uh jorge campillo from spain i mean jordan smith um i mean you'd probably Lucas lump Bearguard, like you would lump fitzpatrick in there but none of them have have won on you know the kind of the larger stages yet i mean even fleetwood hasn't won in the united states yet and you know there's there's only so much that you know you can do to to really get up you know, get higher up in the points if you're not finishing in the top 10 top five winning a lot i mean really wins are probably overrated except for Ryder cup points where they're yeah the the difference maker well you're right see molinari and that's where yeah wins are definitely overrated in evaluating a player's talent now i think there is a talent in showing you're able to show up and beat every player in the field right i mean but if you look at like the sagarin rankings how often ricky fowler beats a ton of top players it's staggering i mean he is without with by any measure using those numbers like a top player in the world he's often criticized for not winning enough but it's hard to look at his record against top 10 and top 50 players and think you are not performing at a high level because he is right exactly this is what's gonna pull big randy out of uh out of his of his bedroom up there but uh i'm sure he's up there just you know gritting his teeth right now (laughs) so again i'm going too far into the sags but some other stats that jumped out to me that the americans have 13 guys that have a better than 50 percent winning percentage against players in the top 50 
it's kind of that's that's that's, a, that's crazy. Yeah, the Europeans have seven. Um, there are nine U.S. guys with a better than forty percent rank against the top ten, and there's six European guys. And if you lower that number to thirty percent, so there's eighteen U.S. guys with a better than thirty percent winning percentage against top ten players, and there's eight Europeans. And those nine guys and those eighteen guys, I mean, a lot of I would probably assume that some of those nine guys, one of one of them maybe would be Fino, who probably isn't on the team right now. I mean, there's some guys that are very high up in the Sagarin rankings that may not even be on the U.S. team. Correct. And so it's worth noting that there's only five guys in the world with a winning record against the top ten. Those guys are Justin Rose, Paul Casey, Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler, and Jordan Spieth. That's just, I just find that's that interesting. I yeah. mean, of all the – that's consistency, right? I mean, when sure. guys go out and miss cuts, you kind of forget about them and you don't – it doesn't bother you that much. But I'm surprised to not see DJ on that list. Like, he, against top ten players in the world, he – is they beat him more often than he beats them, if that makes sense. Some of some of the tournaments that you know DJ has kind of been obligated to play in, I guess either through sponsorship stuff or just mm-hmm. the way he's made his schedule, haven't exactly been like top notch. Yeah, the strongest. Yeah. I mean, like he's in the Canadian this week. Is he going to be there if he's not sponsored by RBC? No, probably not. Definitely so. not. Especially with yeah, that that's a that's a tough one to add because that means you go Open Champion. Sorry, the UK British Open sponsored by Her Majesty to the Canadian <laughs> Open. To Bridgestone straight to PGA, so you're you're playing a major in your fourth consecutive week. Granted, that's, he's in peak physical conditioning can do that, but that's a lot. That's two majors. That's a transatlantic flight, two transatlantic flights, and all the sponsor like obligations that go with right. RBC that week into Bridgestone. WGC weeks are really actually pretty chill for those guys, but um, PGA and rolling into the PGA Championships just a interesting way to do it one week off and then four straight fedex and you get a week off built into the playoffs and then you're going to the Ryder cup so it's gonna be a tight grind to the end of the year for dj there's a reason yeah. why there's not many top guys in the field this week at rbc correct all right so also looking because glenn abby stinks yeah that might be it it's, it's okay but per <laughs> zach blair on it's the, a great condition That's it's all a you great condition for. so um all right looking at the u.s team now the points list i think is Pretty strong right now, but still some volatility possibilities at the bottom. So I think if we're looking at it, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, Justin Thomas, Bubba Watson are lock locks. Like they're going to be on the team on points. Yes. Spieth, Fowler, and Webb make up the bottom three for the, the again, the top eight make it. And then there's four captain's picks. Spieth is sitting pretty good at five point five thousand points. I think he's probably good, assuming just a strong finish out to the year. I think it would be quite the upset, and it would be quite the storyline, really, if he fell out on points. Uh, Ricky, okay on points at four at 4,600. Then Webb's at 4,200. And then Bryson knocking down the door right just a few, like 40 points behind Webb. As we tape this, uh, Bryson DeChambeau looks like he might be about to win in Europe this week, too. So there's that. But I don't think it gets. Any, it doesn't get anything for that. I don't. I don't think so. But I mean, just, which is ridiculous. It is. It's a little ridiculous. But it also goes to kind of the overall. Like, if he has to make a pick, you would look at that. If yeah, you're yeah, totally. and say, oh well, he's he won three weeks ago. Totally. Right? So you would. But I mean, it's kind of ridiculous that the PGA of America runs the Ryder Cup, not the PGA Tour. Yet only PGA Tour events get points for the U.S. I don't know. Come on, guys. Let's let's. It, there's got to be a better way to do this. I'm not a fan of the point system. I think it should be so incredibly obvious. You, basically, whoever gets that eighth spot, I sh- it shouldn't feel like they don't want that the, the, the captain doesn't want them on the team. I'm not saying that's the, the case with Webb, 
But like, are you though? <laughs> why should we be locked into a guy that we might not want to take? Why is that the best system? Why not do uh, twelve captain's picks is never going to happen? But why can't we make it six? Like, if the team was, if you're selecting the team right now, are you telling me you're taking Webb? Like, if let's let's make it top six. Say Kepka, DJ Reed, JT, Bubba, and Spieth are there. Are you selecting Webb for the team? No. And and some of that is based on you know the fact that he well. If you if you look at how he performed in the last Ryder Cup, where he played two times and both of them were not good, and the fact that he's you know kind of he had disappeared for a long time because of the putting woes. I mean, when they took his you know the ability to anchor the belly putter away, um, and he's finally I guess figured out a way to putt. I mean, he putted extremely well at the players where he won, um, but now I've, I've, I'm basically grasping to try to make a case for him right now, and I, I really just can't. I People mean, forget he texted his way onto the 2014 team. by yes. He convinced Tom. At least man that's up more on call, Tom. You know, you know what? That's more on Tom than it is on Webb, but he skied his opening tee shot in 2014 and didn't get to play another match in the team session. They lost confidence in him. And uh, I think he, he halved his, his singles match that year, but um, again, I just don't, I hate the idea of being locked into a guy that you don't want to bring there, and maybe maybe the guys do want to bring him. And maybe it's just me that has this. Is pre- he a good ping pong player? I don't know. That's like- the the argument I don't want to hear is well, who are you going to pair with Bubba? <laughs> don't yeah. bring another weak weak link potentially to the team just to pair up with Bubba. That has not worked in the past no. either. No, not at all. Um, so, anyways, let's let's say those eight are in. As of right now, uh, sources are saying. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. Other than, like I have, I have some good intel. I can, I can tell you as of right now. Again, this won't matter because in two months or in a month when they make the picks, a lot could have changed. But I know who the four captains' picks would be. Phil Mickelson is going to be on the Ryder Cup team. Let's not mess around with it. Barring injury or anything happening, Phil is going to be there. At this point, I can't believe we're still getting questions about it. But yes, Tiger is going to be on the Ryder Cup team. On the Sagarin rankings, he's the eighth best player in the world right now. Um, so I think we can we can safely pencil him in. Yes. <laughs> the one that kind of surprised me as being a essentially a lock to the to the Phil level is Matt Kuchar. He is about as safe to be on the team as you can be. And I mean, he's a he's one of the steadiest players out there. I mean, he is. He's, he's a guy that you you definitely you know you can rely on him if you need to gut out a point. Um, in a singles match, I mean, he's one of those guys that I, I think is Kuchar's got a six, seven, and two overall Ryder Cup rating, one and three in singles. I mean, nothing, nothing yeah. good or bad necessarily. Yeah, um, but I, that's why I'm just surprised. Singles Again, was a bad take. I know I retract, the I retract my previous. Take. I know the uh, the ping pong. Maybe for ping pong reasons, essentially he's going to be on the team. But um, that that's the one that kind of surprised me as being a lock. The one that doesn't surprise me as being the the, the fourth one. And I think it's really it's only going to get interesting. If Bryson passes and gets in on points, which is a very real possibility, he's sitting at ninth. That's where I think that frees the team up to take somebody like Xander. But as of now, that fourth captain's pick would be Bryson. And I think that really adds an interesting dynamic. Tiger wants Bryson on the team. Yes. That is a fact. And one, adding Tiger to the mix is really going to potentially shake up the way the pairings fall out. I can easily see... Tiger and Reed pairing up, breaking up the Reed Spieth so that, and again, I know this is way overblown, the JT Spieth friend thing, but they do like playing matches together. They would be a good team. They would want that. 
I don't have any inside info other than my my gut, my instinct tells me that I think Spieth would like to get out from under the Reed shadow of the Ryder Cup pairing. Yeah, I mean, and I maybe Reed would like to not have to carry Jordan Spieth on his back all the time. I don't I mean That's fair. No, it's it's very at least, fair. At least in Hazeltine and kind of somewhat at the President's Cup last year. From what I've gathered, it sounds like Spieth would like to get out from under it and that Reed kind of dictates is like no, I'm I'm playing with Jordan. Like Reed is the alpha in this situation. There's a free layup for Tron there. Uh, but Reed is the but I think you can kind of defer to that if you say, "All right, Reed, we are breaking up you and Spieth." By the way, you're going to play with Tiger Woods. How's that sound? Yes, please. I think the best is going to be watching Reed try to be the alpha with Tiger. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So I think Reed-Tiger for a four-ball pairing makes a lot of sense. And you can see where I'm going with the next one, I think. Tiger wants to play with Bryson, and they both play the same kind of golf ball, and they play a lot of practice rounds together. I would imagine that has been discussed between the two of them. And I think that is going to be a pairing you see in foursomes. I, I, I think so too. And I think that that's, I think also kind of intellectually they pair well together. I think they see the course, the same, they, they kind of see the nuances. Um, I think that they're kind of the ones that are playing 86 dimensional chess while everybody else is playing checkers. And, you know, I think that tiger having someone that's kind of like his intellectual equal, um, might inspire him a little bit. Um, Kind of, we, you know, we can talk at length about Tiger's Ryder Cup record and and why some of the pairings he's had haven't worked. But I think Tiger's a little bit more mature, a little bit more kind of a team guy now. And uh, having somebody like Bryson DeChambeau as a as kind of like somebody he can mentor, I think would be incredible. I think there's definitely something to what you just said, and that Tiger's Ryder Cup record gets criticized frequently for just not matching up with what his stroke play individual record is. And, and I would think that his attitude, having been an assistant captain now, is changed in that regard. I and agree. He, he views himself as a playing captain and almost maybe views his game as secondary and doesn't focus necessarily as much on himself. I think it's fair to say, during even during the team play, like Tiger is a me guy and is focused on his own game more so than, than I don't know, whatever it takes to, and I have no experience in this regard, but whatever it takes for camaraderie or, you know, a team to work. I don't think that's been a big focus for Tiger. I think that will be different this time around. I, I agree completely. It's his first Ryder Cup in six years. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could see how much it, it meant to him and Hazeltine to, to just be a part of the team and how much he was just itching to get out there. Even and, the president's cup yeah. too. I mean, the pre- he refers to that president's cup as like, man, that was, that was kind of like seeing that support from those teammates is kind of what has inspired him to, get his game and get his ass back in shape and, and make it work. Clearly working. I think there's something still something miraculous happened between that president's cup and now for what we're seeing. I don't, what's funny is uh, I was going back through some old tweets and I think he like hit the first fairway at the hero challenge whenever he played his first start uh, last, last fall or last winter. And I tweeted something like tiger for Paris. Let's go. And looking back, it's like, Oh my oh, yeah. God, that's actually really going to happen. This I, is a real thing. I think that first, if I remember correctly, they, you know, they showed the shot tracer and it was like 189 ball speed. And we all just unanimously, uh, yeah. Dr- dr- jaws on the floor, but we're still of. joking. I still could not have pictured. Like, I think it took even like three or four starts this year to be like, this might actually end up happening. And I mean, I think we can all agree that what has happened has exceeded any reasonable expectations, but not only was JT not a part of the last Ryder cup team that won 17 to 11, neither was tiger woods. Neither was a tiger. That's now one of the 10 best players in the world. I would say was also not on that team. Yeah. And I think that 
there's one thing that I wanted to say that we talked about a little bit before coming on, which is that, you know, Tiger kind of also provides a lot of cover for Furyk in this situation if he's on the team. I mean, if he's on the team and for whatever reason he doesn't play well or we lose, Tiger is going to take a lot of the, the blame for that probably, depending on what his record is, and he probably would accept some of it versus if he's not on the team, which isn't going to happen. But if he wasn't on the team and we go over there and get trounced, I mean, Furyk is going to get eviscerated yeah. for that. But it, there's not a, a if he's not on the team to be correct. That discussion should not happen any longer. Barring injury between now and then, he's 100% on the team. And it's a better Ryder Cup for it. Now, it's the U.S. has only won three Ryder Cups in the last 20 years. However, Tiger hasn't been on a winning Ryder Cup team since 1999. That's 19 years. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, he was not on the 08 team. He was not on the 16 team. That was the only two teams that have won. Since I forget then, that he wasn't on the 08 team. I always yeah. think of oh my that was god. knee surgery year. Yeah. So, um, wow. let's talk a little bit about. Well, first, I want I want to take one quick moment to just laugh at. I mean, I know Furyk has to say this, has to do this. That Furyk made the comment that he's not ready to commit to Tiger at this point, and he's going to go through the same process as everyone. Let's just take a quick second to bullshit, bullshit that. Tiger's on the team. The team is almost entirely already made up. But anyways, like I touched on it. If Bryson ends up getting that last spot, who are the guys that are realistic candidates for the fourth and final pick? And and let me do my, every time we talk about the Ryder Cup, my rant against what they've done with the Horschel rule and how they've completely messed it up. 2014, they made their captain's picks before the, uh, they made them right after Boston, after their, what is now the Dell Technologies. They selected, uh, they selected Webb, Hunter Mahan, and uh, Keegan Bradley. Billy Horschel finished second that week in Boston. Uh, he went on, and the team is set after Boston. He went on to win the BMW Championship the next week and then went on to win the Tour Championship and did not get to play on the Ryder Cup team. So they panicked and in 2016 did this dumb thing where they added one, they, they would make three picks and then save one pick for after the tour championship. So basically on the night that the Ryder cup starts, you don't have your 12th team member. Right. <laughs> totally messed it up. <laughs> like the pendulum swinging way too far in the other direction. In 2014, after the tour championship, there was a week off. Like you had two weeks before the event actually started. It made a ton of sense for, to save a captain's pick to after that week. It did not make any sense to do that in 2016. You don't make a pick on Sunday night when the event starts. I mean, practice rounds start Monday. Like, you don't do that. Right. And they screwed it up again this year. They're going to make three picks after September 3rd, which is after the Dell Technologies. And then they're going to make one more pick after the BMW Championship the following week. What the hell Why? is that one week going to tell you? Why make the spectacle out of... It's almost like a tryout for that one week. If, whatever, Kevin Kisner finishes fifth, but... Tony Finau finishes 10th. Do you take Kisner over him? Like you, you just automatically make that week like a tryout week. Or so. How do you explain taking Finau over Kisner in that regard? Or if Xander Shoffley misses the cut, does he lose out on his spot? Like, it, what is, What's the solution, though? I mean, this is kind of the, the thing. Because now we've seen them. It's kind of like a moving target. They've shifted around when that final pick is going to be. I mean, what do you think the solution is, if there is one? In years where it goes tour championship straight to the Ryder Cup, then make the make all the picks at once. I would make all of them after BMW. You have a week off yeah. after BMW, and then you have the Tour Championship, and then you leave on the charter that night from from there. That's it. That 2014 season was like an anomaly in the schedule, like that you had that time that it would right. have made sense to save a pick for after the Tour Championship. So last year, the the that one pick they waited too long to make it. That was too late. 
This year, it's like too early to make any real difference, and it's a week after. It's six days after, actually, that you that you pick the last guy for the team, and it's that guy becomes the last guy in. He's not one of the first picks by the captain, and is the true twelfth guy on the team. It's like and, being picked picked last for kickball in gym class. So I would, I think they should have waited. Like in twenty fourteen, they should make all of the picks after the tour championship. All right. of them. I mean, what's the point in in and obviously this wasn't a topic of discussion until Horschel kind of broke the system. Um, and then, yeah, they, they did, it's all screwed up. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It's just, Last year it worked out not well at all. I mean, Bubba was on the team in, right. 20, in 2016, and Ryan Moore finished in a tie for second at, in, the, in the playoff with uh, the Tour Championship with Rory, and, or he lost to Rory, and they like had to take him. Like Their hand was pretty much forced, yeah. and... Uh, even up through that playoff, there was like discussions within the team, like how can we not take him? What's the point? And it just did not play out. I mean, it ended up playing out fine because they just crushed him and more played. Ended up getting the winning point. Winning point he played yeah. fine, yeah. but he didn't blow anyone away. And that he was but the the idea that and Bubba, I would have looking back at it, would rather have had Bubba on that team. I think he's more of a variable now, more of a question mark of having not been on a team. What's it going to be like this time around? And he was a better fit for Hazeltine. Right, exactly. Like Ryan Moore's not a good fit for Hazeltine <laughs> not at, at all. all. Not like at that all. neutralizes all of his his it, best skills. And it kind of made, like, it kind of just really put Bubba in an awkward spot because now he's riding, he gets, you know, kind of picked as like this fourth assistant captain or yeah. whatever. He's riding around and he's there and he's cheering guys on. He's trying to be, a, you know, a good team player, but you could tell it was eating him up. And, and it became a topic of conversation on the broadcast because, you yeah. know, NBC needs things to talk about. And, uh, yeah, I just thought it kind of put him in a really awkward spot. I think Bubba should have been on that team. Well, I mean, Bubba is, is Zane, you know, Bubba's personality has been well-documented. And the reason, like, he wasn't selected on the team is because of his personality. I mean, he was, like, ninth in the point standings and top eight make it. Right. Like, he was intentionally bypassed. Might be the th- same thing that happens to Webb this year, although Could for be. a different reason. But, so... He wasn't picked because of his personality. It's not because of his golf ability. He doesn't have a great Ryder Cup record. But anyways, you brought in the personality to the room without his golf ability, right. which was just, it worked out. Again, I, I get a little nervous about 2016 and how well it worked out for the U.S. because of we haven't even, I, I, a lot of people forget to mention or don't mention that that European team was trash. It just was not a good team. They were not going to win Especially that Especially the, the bottom six the bottom with six. all the rookies and just, yeah. It, it was, was not a strong team. Like, Rory and Peters and Rafa, like, all played out of their ass, and they got spanked. Like, it right. It just wasn't a strong team. This is not going to be Sullivan, the case. Andy Sullivan, Chris Wood, no offense to those guys, good players, but, I mean, they did not match up. I mean, didn't... What, what do you think went one and one? Fitz went 0-2. Oh um, I mean, what really let them down was Keimer and Westwood, and yes. actually, it wasn't necessarily the rookies. It was some of their vets that just absolutely shot the bat. Well, and they kind of... And Darren Clark hid all the rookies. I mean, that was, that was the thing you said. I mean, right. you know, Fitzpatrick played two matches, Wood played two matches. I think Sullivan played two matches, maybe yeah. three. I mean... I forgot he was on the team. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, he, you know, Clark made the decision that he was going to try to hide all of the rookies and put a bunch of veterans out, and then, like you said, they all shot yeah. the bat. So. Well, I mean, as well as things worked out in 2016 for the U.S. team, getting complacent, and I don't think they necessarily are, but like it was more of a reflection of how poor the European team was than it was how strong the U.S. team was. Now, the, the President's Cup is kind of a joke, but what that U.S. team did in the President's Cup last year was... Send notice. Special. That was, yes. You are. The world is officially on notice that... 
maybe we've figured out this U this this team golf thing. And again, I don't put a ton of stock in it, but they almost won the Presidents Cup on Saturday. <laughs> Correct, an absolute massacre. Um, can we can we jump back in because this kind of yeah. fits in with one of the uh, the Twitter questions we had, which is I think I'm a, I'm going to paraphrase is Bubba's locker room personality, you know. Uh, better now than it was in 16. Yeah, it was Will Be- Will Bardwell's question. He says, yeah, is is his, is the personality any better post-2016 than it was pre-2016? You know, I, I, I'm going to say yes. I, I don't have a ton of input like from locker room guys and whatnot about it, but it seems like the Bubba kind of hate towards him is dying down some. It doesn't bother people as much. Maybe more people are just used to it and kind of his on-course antics are what they are, but... I get more of the sense that guys don't dislike him as much as they maybe once did. I'm going to have a deep state take, which is All that right. uh, CBS has deliberately not mic'd him up as much on the course. Oh, and maybe that's God, kind of- I love this on so many levels. I, I even personally find myself disliking Bubba less. I, I don't have the energy maybe for it as much as I once did. And I think like his on course behavior has improved and he doesn't get out and say as many dumb things in the media and also he, he's won a lot this year i mean he's, he's been very really very good really consistent um you know he's actually putted well yeah and i'm not i'm not gonna like come so it is worth addressing that he i think played the french open once it was in 2011 at this course it did not go well. It is like one of the like. He was go- shocked that there were no French fries. I mean, yeah. that's really the problem. There's, it's like one of the go-to stories for people that dislike Bubba. The things he said about, you know, I saw the tower thing or whatever it was. I don't know. I'm just ready to get back home. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> that guy's. He's not going to be a captain's pick on this team. He's going to make it on points, but like, you don't take a guy with you that says those things or is no. that uncomfortable about where fans are walking and all. He just had a bunch of really weird criticisms of the French Open. Uh, back when he played in it. So, on that note, uh, we got a question just kind of about what the what the atmosphere is going to be like in France and whatnot. One, I think I don't know how strong the French fans' memory is of Bubba's comments or whatnot, but I think he can expect maybe some extra booing that He's comes with get it. Ribbed, yeah. So this this was a topic of conversation during the French Open that uh, a French pro, Michael Lorenzo Vera, made the comment that. Golf in France. He says, golf is not a good thing here. It's for rich people and spoiled kids. That's the image we have. Golf is a very private thing for people in France. Private courses for only rich families or rich people. That's it. People don't care about the Ryder Cup. Honestly, nobody knows that there's going to be a Ryder Cup in France. Only the golfers know. That's it. There won't be many French here. Flamethrower. Wow. Uh, if you're asking, burn it to the ground. Michael. If you're asking who Michael Lorenzo Vera is, that's a fair question. He's not going to be on this Ryder Cup team. Thirty fourth in the European point standings right now, which is I. You're only gonna hear this from a guy that far down the standings. So I, I don't. It's not, I don't discount that being said. Just because you may not have heard of the guy or he's not going to be on this team, that's the only reason he's able to say this. And there, maybe all of the European Tour players may be thinking that as well. Golf in continental Europe is different than it is in the UK, and I'm not—I don't know a lot about golf in France, to be honest. But it's a similar—it's similar in the Netherlands, it's similar in Germany, and a lot of other places where it's not—it's not like it is in the UK. UK is so incredibly open, and we've talked about that in many podcasts. And really, the, the Ryder Cup in itself is—it's a just a huge business, an enormous business. So when you are asking yourself why the Ryder Cups go to certain events. Why don't they play the Ryder Cup the old course? It needs to be at Carnegie. It needs to be such a great match play course. 
you don't really no. understand what the Ryder Cup is if that's the case. I mean, go see how many hospitalities are set up, see how many tickets they sell, how much merchandise they sell. This thing is just a profit-making behemoth. It's enormous. On the backs of some very entertaining golf matches, Correct. but I mean, yeah, you're you're. But the golf right courses are the settings, and they they are. It's more about logistics. Yes, and, and the, yeah, the infrastructure and all that. I mean, they they take these courses, they tinker with them, and they 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 change the routings of them. I mean, Hazeltine, they they flipped you know the 16th hole to make it the 7th hole to make sure everyone got to see that hole on the front nine and whatnot, and making the players walk longer distances in between holes to get right. with their janky routings. And from what I've gathered, they uh, I don't know if this is – I couldn't find anything online on this, but talking to a couple guys, they're going to make the 18th hole at Le Golf National the 15th hole, which is like about a 470-yard par-4 with an approach over water, water all down the left side. It's kind of a big theatrical hole, but they want to make sure most of the matches get to that hole. So that's going to be the 15th, and I think – the routing stays the same, basically just flip flopping the fifteenth and eighteenth. Yeah, they play parallel to each other. Yeah. and share the same water hazard. So, so. it shouldn't it shouldn't be a, a major change in any way. But uh, but yeah, so the, the Ryder Cup is is, I mean, if we're talking like reality, like a true competition, it should never leave the UK. Like it it just shouldn't. Golf in continental Europe exists, but it's not nearly the same passion. The fans that are going to be there at, in France are probably from the UK. Yeah, I mean, maybe if Great Britain and Ireland and prior to that, Great Britain didn't suck so bad for 70 years, the first 70 years of the, of the Ryder Cup, it, you know, and then having to add Europe in order to right. to kind of balance it out a little bit. But even still, I mean, the total number of fans, you know, even with maybe three Swedish guys or two Swedish guys on the team, like, are there going to be that many fans in Sweden that care about having a Ryder Cup? No. I mean, no. And it's, I mean, listen, the process for bidding on a Ryder Cup is similar to the world cup and Olympics. And there's some backroom improprieties yeah. that happen. And there might be, I mean, into the future, you know, I'm not positive how firm of soil the Rome Ryder cup is standing on at this, at this point. I know that it's, it's well, it's out there. There's a course in Ireland that is pushing for that one very, very hard. And it may end up changing locations. It may also depend on kind of how this one goes, but I'm not, expecting a very a, a, a anywhere near Hazeltine level like rambunctious atmosphere no and i have some thoughts about kind of the the political and and socioeconomic fervor of 2016 being kind of like contributing to the way that fans reacted in at Hazeltine and we won't go into that but um it's yeah there's much more of like maybe a, a jingoistic tent uh when it's you know in the united states versus in europe like nobody's Nobody, I mean, nobody cares about the European Union the way that United States, you know, P Americans care about the United States. Yeah, and it just, and again, I don't want to generalize like what the Netherlands is like compared to France, but like anyone I would you know talk to in in the Netherlands about like no laying up or golf, they'd be like, oh, so like, do you play professionally? Like they just didn't. Right. <laughs> the concept of like recreational golf wasn't the same to normal people that didn't play it. I mean, I think in the States, if you talk to somebody about golf, like people know that, yeah, you just go, there's public courses and you go play any kind of style of golf. It's just not the same there. And there's not the same, I guess, like passion amongst a mass amount of golf fans. I mean, I think the Scotland Ryder cup, I mean, it was Glen Eagles. It's not like a links course. It's not like what true Scotland's all about, but the fans, the yeah, fans were crazy. And, and they're you awesome. You say the same thing about Celtic Manor in 2010 for, yeah. I mean, the fans there were, and some of the boisterous. worst weather condition yes. you could possibly imagine. They showed up for a Monday finish in droves like that. Yes. That's, that's the spirit of the European side of the game to right. me. Now, 
how many British fans are going. And there was a question we got. I think it's going to be a lot to answer that question. But there's somebody asked us a question of, where are the Ryder Cup tickets? How can I? Yeah, Scott McHugh, where in the heck are all? I love how he says where in the heck and not where in the hell. Where in the heck are all the tickets and why so goddamn expensive? Any suggestions on on getting some stateside without purchasing a Ryder Cup package? The fact that he put it in quotes, Ryder Cup package, that tells that's, you that everything. says it right there. This is a this is a I don't know what the what the right word is. It's not a hoax, but it's like a money grab. Like this thing is like golf courses host the Ryder Cup so that they can charge enormous prices for people to play it afterwards. I mean, I think like Valderrama still charges like 400 euros a round or something like that. For, right. And they host the Ryder Cup in 1997. It just elevates the profile of a club and it it's not. Which is why they often go to resort courses. I mean, like yes. Celtic Manor, like uh, the Belfry, you know. And listen, as much as we'd love to watch the Ryder Cup on TV, like at the old course or at Carnoustie or it's not a good viewing experience in person. Links courses are just not, there's no amphitheaters. There's tough to put grandstands out there. It's dangerous to put grandstands in some spots just with based on the wind and whatnot. And so that's, that's why, um, but you know, that's part of the reason why this thing exists is it's a, it's for money. So correct. uh, Yeah. I don't Listen, no one wants to see, I, I think it'd be really cool if they would start going to venues that, were baby like kind of expired when it comes to stroke play. I mean like Royal Melbourne with the president's cup, it's too short for a stroke play event for the top players in the world. Like they'll dominate it. But for match play, it, I would also make the argument that par doesn't matter for stroke play, but yes. like for in the eyes of a lot of people, it does. So it's just a tougher hurdle to leap. But for match play, it really doesn't matter. And it's like a, one of the best match play courses. Yeah, you could go it's thrilling. To. So it's really, match play really encouraged by the, by at least that future president's cup site. Um, what do you say we get into a few questions? We've got a lot of good ones here. I think we've covered a lot so far. Riley Duncanson, uh, what will be the more dominant performance in France, USA in 2018 or Germany in 1940? Jesus. (laughs) We're not going to address that one. I just, that was the very first question I think we got. And, uh, and one, his location on Twitter says four left. I like this guy. Yeah. Uh, I think it was also funny that you, you mentioned before we came on that you uh, asked the question, you asked for questions on Twitter when only the Europeans were. That awake. was my mistake. Yeah. It was, I asked around 9 a.m. on a Sunday, and uh, the Americans are all hungover and not sending in questions and got a, got a little, got some good natured ribbing from the Euros, which we appreciate. For sure. I'm gonna, I did say, got asked to save a couple tweets about how bad the Euros are going to smash us, and I will most definitely bookmark them. And perhaps we'll revisit in two months. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, Drew Nedzinski asks, who does the delicate genius mesh with on the Ryder Cup? Seems like he'd be too much of a head case to play someone else's ball and alternate shot. Does he automatically sit those? We talked about that a little bit earlier, and I think that's like, well, I, the more I think about it, he can only play with Tiger in alternate shot. I think that's fair, yeah. And I think it will happen. Um, all right. Jeremy Fuss says, how much does the golf course matter? Is Le National extremely linksy, and will that help or hurt either team? Let's get this out of the way now. Don't call. He didn't. He said linksy, which I think right. is a fair comparison. But it I'm has put tall my, grass. I mean, I'm if gonna, that's what you think the linksy course is. Well, I mean, it plays it's, firm. It, it's designed yeah. to play firm, and it's designed to play like a links course. But I'm going to put put my nose up in the air here as a, as a golf snob when it comes to links golf. It's not a links course by technicality, so let's not call it one. He no. didn't, but let's into the future. We're not going to call it one. It, it does have a bit of those vibes, and it is. I think what we love about links golf is 
not it's necessarily its location to the sea, but it's the soil type. It's the reaction of Fescue a ball and, on the right. ground and positioning of bunkers and learning, having to know how much your ball rolls out, et cetera. Those elements should be in play, depending on how conditions last or how the, the rest of the summer goes in France. Uh, it should play like that. You watch it on TV, you can't tell that it's not seaside because it does look like it could be. It does. And it was built in the early 90s around the time when you know the stadium courses were in vogue. And it kind of has that feel as well. The be- it's the it's, best it's, of both worlds in that regard. It is. It's as close as we can get to taking a course, a Ryder Cup to a Lynx course, because you need those amphitheaters, you need that infrastructure, you need the modern space to be able to usher in you know tens of thousands of fans every single day it's going to show very well on tv we can say that much it's going to be a good match play course and it especially with some of the grandstands and the amphitheaters that they're going to build up i mean it's going to look really cool on tv and one thing to keep in mind too when it comes to uh you know we've kind of moved past this already but not why they don't go to traditional link style courses is one that a ton of fans attend this two for the first two days there's four groups out there at a time like everybody's concentrated around That's a, great a small group of holes. You can't spread out and see a bunch of different players. And I, I w- attended the Ryder Cup as a fan in 2012 at Medina. Going to be honest, not the best viewing experience. We tried to follow some groups. There was It was five rows deep the whole time. We finally said, let's get a bunch of beers. Let's sit behind the 15th hole and wait and watch every group came through. And that was the strategy. That was the way to do it. And the U.S. came and won a point on that green that morning. And the U.S. won that hole every morning. And everyone just got so fired up. And that was fun because – we're part of like the building excitement and getting ready for right. the groups to come through, et cetera. Um, but yeah, it's, it's again, a lot of downtime to imbibe yourself. Yes. I think I forget who it was, but they did let you kind of buy or rent a little TV screen that you could wear around your neck cool. and have like a little earpiece to see what was going on on the course. They put jumbo trons Na- NASCAR up. on the golf course. That's right. Uh, so they do do a lot of other things so you can see what's going on on the course. And I remember at Hazeltine, they had a huge jumbo tron there on the 16th hole, which was kind of the feature hole. And, um, anyways, John Caulfield says, what number do you play Webb in the singles? He is your number one on current form. Troll. Just kind of wanted to get that out there. Is that's the, that's the European response we got for sending this, the tweet out too early in the morning. So. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Trask says, if Tiger makes it, who's his partner in foursomes and four ball? I think we covered that and that Bryson likely in foursomes and, and Reed in four ball would be our guesses at this point in late July. Jamie Weir, is Bubba the weak length of the U.S. team lost every singles and foursome game he's ever played and once said he hated Le Golf National and generally being away from home? I think we, we, we covered that one, I think. Uh, all these fair are, points. Yeah, fair, very fair. Uh, but, you know, you don't necessarily have to play him in four. You probably shouldn't play him in foursomes. You know, put him out no. two four-ball matches. Let him, you know, try to bomb it all over the place and see what happens. Yep. Uh, Lord Murray Campbell, why is the U.S. team even wasting their money coming over? Europe is an absolute lock in the Ryder Cup. It could get embarrassing. Hashtag remember this tweet. Hashtag remembered. Hashtag have you seen our economy? We're doing fine. Thank you. <laughs> I think the U.S. is like the PGA America is actually making a ton of money on this. Four percent GDP growth last quarter. <laughs> I think we can spend a few hundred thousand going to France. Suck on that, Lord Murray. <laughs> Uh, Simon Cooper from a scale of one to 10, how brutal are the crowds going to be? Can it will affect the outcome? I think on a scale of one to 10 for Ryder cup standards, I think it's going to be about a six. Yeah. I was going to say seven. So I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I don't even want to put Hazeltine as a 10. It wasn't like that loud. Actually Sunday kind of lacked a lot of noise and it was more from a harassing nature than it was like a true patriotic spirit. That's like the issue I had with it. I feel like maybe there's, 
it's kind of weird that early in the morning, the the patriotic kind of everybody coming together thing was really cool at Hazeltine. You know, people are singing the national anthem mm-hmm. as the sun comes up and stuff. And then as the day goes on and people start drinking and it gets a little bit warmer and you know, that it kind of just, well, it just builds. It's like, Oh, that guy just yelled something harassing at Rory. I can do that. Right. He didn't get kicked out. Well, and, and some of the players kind of bringing it on themselves a little bit too, by playing into it, you know, shushing the crowd bowing. I mean, yeah, yeah. I love it. Oh, Don't yeah. get it wrong, that, but that's where it, but like, you're going to, you're kind of asking for it a little bit. This being an exhibition is what like, it yeah. gets me hard. Like that is what, like that, that is the, the part of it that makes like, Thomas Peters is one of the more shy guys out there. Him shushing the crowd at the Ryder Cup in front of all those fans, knowing what the reaction is going to be, like that is what it's all about. Right? Like that didn't make me mad. Like that got me super exactly. excited. Uh, so the, the more of that, that, that's what I'm hoping. I'm, I'm hoping it has that kind of atmosphere. We know on TV, regardless of what it's actually like in person, they're going to play that up. And listen, like Golf Channel had a guy on the first tee at Hazeltine, like when they'd come back from commercial break, like pumping up the crowd, putting their right. hands up in the air, like, come on, make noise, make noise, make it seem and crazy. Bubba did a great job at that. Didn't Bubba <laughs> was really good at that too. And oh God, when Big Cat came on the first tee as the assistant, as oh, the assistant that place absolutely yes. erupted. Because that was, he wasn't hadn't been in public eye in a, in a no. long time in any capacity. And when he, he's kind of surfaced there. And, he is the needle. Yep. I've heard that one before. Uh, Dead Man. U of M is his handle says, if you're Furick, do you hire someone to injure Webb Simpson a la Tanya Harding so you don't have to take him on the team? I think Great this is tweet. I think this is Dead Man's burner account because <laughs> there's not a whole lot else going on here. Uh, I don't have an answer for that one other than that's a that's a very good tweet. This is a good one from at Legal Hooks. Does course setup uh, slash playing style or current form matter more for captains picks? I think there's two schools of thought, um, especially on the European side. Like, are you when it comes down to Bjorn making a final decision on Stenson and Sergio? You know, do you take guys? You do you take horses for courses, more experience, or do you take the guys in current form? Ideally, you'd love to have both. Um, I think for from my perspective, I would rather have the guys in current form than horses for courses because these guys are world class players. They adjust. You know, they play different styles of golf courses all over the world. Solly, what do you think? Well, I actually, okay, I'll answer this question first. It's like, all right, course setup or current form, what's more important? I would say current form. However, I think there's a more a factor that actually gets weighed in more than both of these, and it is, I don't want to say if it's locker room presence, but it's the guys in the locker room who they trust. Like that's, it's it, current form, you ask, if you ask, you know, I don't know, Jordan Spieth, who, who you want as a captain's pick out of these guys, his it's not gonna. He's not gonna be thinking of current form. He's gonna know who's playing well and who's not. Yeah. But it's not gonna be like, oh, he's T ten and T five the last two starts. It's like, no, I want. I'm not again. This example. He's like, no, I want Tony Finau. Like, I want that guy next to me in yeah. the locker room. So right. that's more of what is gonna be a factor than it is like the point standings will mean absolutely nothing when they go to make the actual picks. And that's there's a reason. For, and I'm I'm totally fine with that for the record. Yeah. The, I mean, the points are just like anything else. I mean, aside from the guys who are going to make it automatically, you know, the points are just one, but one metric that you look at. They're just at. numbers on a page. And right. I know as the guy that is they can be manipulated. Off, yeah. I mean, I've ripped off a ton of numbers in this in this episode, but it means it really does mean nothing when you when you go out to, to tee it up. I so. feel very inferior sitting across the table from former accountant Solly, uh, you know. There I, are Excel I'm a lawyer. spreadsheets. I'm a lawyer because I don't like numbers. Yes, I've got Excel spreadsheets and everything going here. All right. This is a good question. This is from at Pin. I can't even say these names out loud. Anyways, 
Should more of the USA players have taken the opportunity to play Le Golf National earlier this month in anticipation of the Ryder Cup? A sign of arrogance. They don't need to play it or belief they can play anywhere. You guys, you and Randy talked about this in one of the pods a few weeks ago, and the, the, I think that point is is the correct take. It's it's a hard scheduling thing to ask the guys that play on the PGA tour regularly to go across the pond for one week to come back and then go back across the pond to play either the Scottish or the open or both. Um, I don't think it's arrogance. I think Justin Thomas probably wanted to see the course and went over there, played well, saw it. I'm sure he took notes and, you know, good on him for doing it. Um, but uh, I'm sure he took cash as well. I'm sure there yes. was a reason why he, I, I don't well, have yes. Intel on that for the record, but I'm, I would imagine that when, when you see a top 10 ish player in the world or anywhere, going over to Europe to play one specific event. Just assume that there's cash tied to it. I don't know if Bryson's getting paid this week to be playing um, the, in the event that he's leading, I think. At I this bet moment. he's getting a new Porsche. <laughs> Probably, um, but that there's that's how it works on the European Tour. Um, he loves German engineering. Yeah, and uh, yeah, JT was able to make it work. Um, JT does not is not married does not have kids like those things are a factor when you make out your schedule like for people that are married with kids your kids are home during the summer and you're not in school and there's just a lot of other things that go into making out a schedule other than like thinking about an exhibition event in the fall it puts a a lot of strain on your team too i mean it puts strain on your caddy it puts strain on on your managers and you have sponsorship obligations you have a finite amount of energy to get yourself through the year and you don't want to wear yourself out before before a major now I did gather that, uh, and, and I said this right after the French Open week, that I would imagine if you really want to see the golf course, all of the guys that are playing on the U.S. Ryder Cup team are playing in the Open Championship. When you come over, you can come, and not I don't think any of them were playing in the John Deere. Like You can come over two days earlier if you want. You make you know one trip across the pond. You can fly over, play the course in France if you want to, and see it, and then head over, help adjust with jet lag, and go play the Open Championship. I think some of the guys did that, and from some what I gather, between like five to seven guys did do that. I know Phil went, checked it out, and maybe you'd rather play it in a practice round where you can hit different shots from all over the place as opposed to in competition where you're more confined totally. to what you have to, you know, you have to play the shot in front of you versus being able to actually go out and kind of look at different pin locations and things like that. And if you, and again, it's not a Lynx course, but like. Lynx courses play different on a Wednesday than they do a Thursday. So how it plays in the middle of the summer might be totally different than how it plays in September. Like it could firm out even more. It could be softer if they get a ton of rain. It's not, you gather some Intel, but not the best Intel. You can get an idea for the layout with the kind of shots you'll need. But these guys go over and like before majors, having never seen a golf course before the week that they see it. And if you ever go watch practice rounds, guys will hit a couple shots here and there and then just spend all, all of their time chipping and putting. That's, yes. that's what they use the practice rounds for, to learn the green surfaces, to learn the surrounds, to learn the you know what kind of shots you want to play around the greens, et cetera, and then they work on their swings on the range. Like it's, it's, if I were doing it, I would do it a lot differently. I feel like when I go play a practice round somewhere, I want to learn how I play it from tee to green. Right. Those guys are so programmed to be in control of their games tee to green that it's all about controlling your speed and learning breaks and how things move around the green. So professional golfer Chris Solomon has some advice for you guys. <laughs> Learn how to play it from well, the feet. Well, the accurate, the, the the more accurate way of saying it is like the professionals kind of have their way of figuring out how to prepare for a golf course. Yes. And I don't think you need. I mean, look at how. And I know a lot of the European team guys have 
played the French Open before and played this golf course before, but a lot of the guys on the European team skipped the event this year. It's not true. essential to have played in the event to be able to understand the golf course. And they'll get there on Monday, and play starts on Friday. You even get an extra day of practice during that week of. So, nope, don't think too much of, uh, of those guys skipping it. Definitely wouldn't call it. I don't think it's arrogance. I wouldn't use the word arrogance. Um all right, if you're cool with that, I'm cool wrapping it there. Uh, I didn't even wasn't even looking at the time. That was a that was a lot of golf talk, a lot of Ryder Cup talk, and it's probably all going to change in the next couple of weeks anyway. So we may have to do this again before uh, before 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 France and before the captains' picks get made. So that'd be awesome. Joe, I really enjoyed it, Solly. Thank, thank you. you for the Panera, and uh, you're welcome, and uh, for coming by, and uh, we'll check in with you again soon, leading up to the Ryder Cup. This is way easier to do than actually writing it actually all out on paper too. Yeah, so. this took you know an hour plus a little bit of prep versus many hours of correct writing it all down so that's just why i never end up writing anything for the website so all right joe thank you man cheers cheers be the right club be the right club today honey that's better than most how about him that is better than most better than most Expect